So today is what we call the Reign of Christ Sunday. It's the final Sunday in the church lectionary year. So we operate a little bit differently from the regular calendar in that uh, next Sunday begins the beginning of our church year. And theoretically, the idea of the, of the lectionary year is that it takes us on a journey with Christ. And so we begin at the beginning next Sunday. So it seems to fit that this Sunday, this uh, Reign of Christ Sunday, maybe you've heard it called Christ the King Sunday, is kind of a culmination of everything. It's this bringing together of the message that not only did Christ, was Christ born, and that Christ lived, and that Christ died and rose again, but that Christ continues to live and continues to reign. It's a day of celebration. Anytime we have white in the church, it's a day of celebration. Uh, white or gold. Uh, and so today we celebrate that Christ is reigning. Not that Christ reigned or will reign, but that Christ is currently reigning. Now, that's a big loaded word, which is why I'm even careful with how I want to Let's talk about that tonight because reign and it sounds like kings. You know, we changed it from Christ the King to uh, the reign of Christ Sunday because that sounds slightly better. Um, it's at least not gendered. But there's still some connotations there about what it means to reign because a lot of times we think of reigns as in the imperial reign of Rome. Reigns often are oppressive. You don't typically talk about the reign of a president or uh, the duly elected leaders of a country. You don't talk about the reign of the folks who come and go. Generally, the reign is reserved for those who have absolute power. And so when we think about the reign of Christ Sunday, we should think about it a little differently, though. Because Christ, while reigning is not oppressive. Christ is life-giving. Christ is freedom-giving. Christ is forgiving. Christ is loving. And so today we celebrate all of these things. We celebrate that God is in control even when it doesn't feel like it. Now, today is also the end of our sermon series. This is probably the longest sermon series I've ever been a part of, and I'm the one that created it, uh, kind of, uh, of this series that we've done pretty much the whole entire semester of what Christians do, talking about all of these different things that Christians do. And tonight, we're going to say we follow the leader, which is, of course, President Trump, right? No, no. The reign of Christ. Come on now, you guys, that was a, that was a gimme joke there. Obviously, I was, ha, 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 ha. I'm ready for Thanksgiving break too, right? Uh, turkey, yes. There's turkey afterwards, just as an FYI. Uh, so tonight, we are uh, going to talk about following the leader, who Christ, is Christ, our, the one who reigns. Now, I want to stop, leave that alone for a second, and um, tell you about a statue that I saw when I was in Florence. 
uh, just recently uh, for something that was going on in my life. Uh, might have been a honeymoon, I don't know, just something. <laughs> and I just lost it here. There it is. So, you probably can't see this very well, but this is a, a statue called the uh, Rape of the Sabine Woman, Women. And um, despite its graphic title, it's actually this really incredible statue. Uh, it's one of, considered to be one of the greatest works of arts ever. Uh, it sits in the, um, in the piazza right outside of the Medici Palace and the, uh, the Afuzi Museum where some of the greatest works of art that have ever been created currently are housed and right near where many others that are no longer in Italy were created. And this is particularly incredible. Um, and you can't really see it in this picture here. But it, what makes it so incredible is that as you go up to this statue and you walk around it, it seems like it's alive. What this statue is, if you couldn't see from the smallish picture on my iPad, is it's three figures. It's a man who is a Roman. Uh, this is the story of how uh, Rome was populated in that the, at the founding of Rome. The, uh, the legend, probably truth, is that the folks who founded Rome were mostly men, and there was this group called the Sabines, and they went and kidnapped the uh, women so that they might increase their population. And so what you have in this picture is you have one of the Sabine men, and you have a Sabine woman, and you have this Roman man. And this Roman man is grabbing a hold of the woman. The woman is trying to twist her way out, and the, man, the Sabine man is on the ground. And what's incredible is that as you walk around, you can almost see her moving to get away. You can almost see the Roman man grabbing a hold of him, of her, and stepping onto this other man. And you can almost see this other man who's doing like this, trying to push the other man out of the way. It's this really incredible statue because it feels like it's alive. Even though it's this block of marble, this single block of marble that was transformed into this statue of this ancient story. And what, why I'm bringing that up tonight is because it's also interesting to try and figure out which side is the front. My, our tour guide actually she uh, tested us. She says, okay, everybody take two minutes. Look at the statue. Walk all around it. And then tell me which side is the front. Which way faces front? Which is the front side? And we looked and, you know, there were lots of good guesses. And I guess there is a technical front side. But what's interesting is that each angle you look at it, there's not really like a back to this statue. If you've ever seen the giant statue of David, which is... Uh, also there in Florence, there's clearly a backside and a front side. <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> uh, see, this is, this is where I didn't think that one through. There's clearly a front side and a backside of, of a lot of statues, but not this one. This one, it seems to be different on every angle. And that's a lot like Jesus. Jesus is different from many different angles. 
depending on the angle we are seeing Jesus from that particular day, we were seeing likely a different Jesus. And I can even look at the same angle as you and see a different Jesus. Because Jesus is all things to all people. Jesus who is and was and shall always be reigning. And this is who we turn to. This is who we follow. This is the one we're trying so much to be like, though we ultimately all fail. And our scripture tonight lays out uh, this really beautiful piece of reigning Christ imagery. And it lays out several different faces in which we see this Jesus. The first is this rescuer in, chapter, in verse 13, where it says, uh, who has rescued us from the power of darkness, because Jesus brings us into a better place, into a safer place, a place that may not be physical, but that is the kingdom of God. In Jesus, what once was lost is now found. We are found in Christ our rescuer and not just the any us but like the real us the one God created us to be the real you and me is who Christ finds something that can sometimes be no small feat in verses 15 and 16, Jesus is called the firstborn of all creation, in whom all things in heaven and on earth were created, and that all things have been and have been through and for him. Everything that exists is in Christ. The Creator who laid down his life so that we might know God's grace and forgiveness. And the same Creator who gave all of it up just for us. The firstborn of creation. Co-creator. Who reigns and died for us. Then we have in verse 17, Jesus who is Lord over all things, head of the church and the body. The body of Christ this community, all communities. What we celebrated on World Communion Sunday when we celebrated communion with uh, many other churches throughout the world. What we celebrated on All Saints Sunday when we talked about all of the saints that have been ever and will ever be, as well as the saints that are now. Something we spend a lot of time arguing about is who exactly is the head. We like to be in charge. We like to pretend like we have control of things. I like to have the uh, illusion of control, at least. I like to be able to tell myself, yeah, everything's in control. I can handle this. I know that no matter what happens in the service tonight, I'm going to be able to keep us on track, short of me wandering off the path. I like things to be in control. We like to be in control. And we don't just like to be in control of our own lives. We like to have the authority to say, but I'm right. You're wrong. What you think about this, 
is incorrect. We like to be the one who can decide. Except all of that, mostly, is not up to us. It's up to the one who is the head of the church and the body of Christ. The one who has all authority in heaven and earth. And that lies in the hands of Christ, which in a way is actually a bit of a relief. I don't have to have all the authority. I don't have to have all the answers. I can even be wrong sometimes. And in verse 20, we have Jesus, the peacemaker, the great arbitrator who reconciles us with God through the forgiveness of sins, who calls us to holiness and to wholeness. The many facets of Jesus, the rescuer, the head of the church, the peacemaker, the firstborn of all creation, the one who can be all things to all people. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have to remind myself that I can't be all things to all people. And it's not because I actually think that I can, but because I struggle with my own limitations. I want to be the best chaplain I can be for you guys. I want to never make any mistakes. I want to always say the right things at the right moment. I always want to notice when you're having a bad day. I always want to, when you're having a bad day, be able to lift you up. I want to make things better even when I can't. And the truth is, I know no matter how great of a chaplain I will be, I could be, I'm always going to come up short. Because I'm just me. I'm just a person. I cannot be all things to all people. But I don't have to be. Because we follow the one who is all things to all people. We follow the Christ whose love is limitless, whose grace is limitless, who stretches across the bounds of anything and everything we can imagine and beyond. We follow a God who's not just with us when we need God, but always and everywhere. And in the background of all of this, we have the cross. What I find awe-inspiring about Jesus is that Jesus, who does reign and reigned before and will continue to reign, Jesus, who lived on high in heaven, Jesus, who created the universe, who had angels literally at his beck and call, Jesus gave all that up for us. And what we'll be talking about starting next week became this little baby. Jesus, who gave up the glory of heaven, the joy of heaven, the peace of heaven, to come and walk the earth as one of us, to not just come and, and uh, appear, 
but to grow up as one of us. To live lives just like one of us. To have scraped knees and hurt feelings. To laugh laughter and cry tears. Jesus gave up all of the splendor of heaven to walk with us. And not just to walk with us, but to teach us. To show us a different way, to show us a better way, to show us that we didn't have to be at conflict with one another all the time. That there was a way of peace, that there was a way of hope, that there was a way of joy, that things don't always have to be bad, that we have goodness in us. That when we begin to question the nature of humanity, and is humanity actually a good thing? Are we capable of goodness? Jesus comes in and says, yes, and let me show you why. Jesus, who then, after walking with us, was taken to the cross, murdered in a horrendous way. Jesus, who took that pain and burden onto himself. Jesus, who lived in the splendor of heaven and died on a cross in a cruel form of torturous death. Jesus, who didn't have to do any of these things, but Jesus, who stepped down from heaven because he desperately wanted us to know how much God loves us. And Jesus, who rose from the grave, showing us that even death has no power, that there is things greater than the powers of this world and the powers of death. Jesus, who lives and reigns now and forever, stepped down from heaven to rescue us, to make peace, and to call us to a better way. And so it is the cross that we set on the altar here that invites us into new relationship with God and with one another. To follow the one who reigns in heaven and to rescue one another, to make peace with one another, and to be creators of good as we seek to see the world transformed by the one who shed only his blood and now and forever reigns as Lord of all. Jesus reigns in our lives and in our hearts. Jesus reigns when we take action speaking against oppression and injustice. When we actively overturn those things counter to the world, because in Christ, we enter into a new kingdom. And in this new kingdom, with this Jesus who reigns, there's new rules, and there's new meaning for life. And what's really special about this kingdom is very, very few kingdoms have ever been founded in peace. But this kingdom is built on a foundation of love and grace and peace. 
not by force or a conqueror, but through a generous invitation. One that says, when you're ready, I'm here. I'm waiting for you. I'm calling to you. I love you. A rain that reminds us that as we seek to, lo to love one another and to love God, we're also called to live every day as if the reign of Christ is here and now because the reign of Christ is here and now. And to live in an outpouring of mercy and grace that is, surpasses everything we could ever imagine. And that mercy and grace, just because. Just because God wants to, us to know that we are loved. Amen.